You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Hyde of Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, Tesla Investor Day. It kicks off and we bring you everything you need to know from Elon Musk's big event. And we'll bring you a conversation with the CEO of Coinbase amid a broad regulatory crackdown on that industry as the SEC eyes the company's staking product. Plus, Capital G and names Layla Sturdy as the new leader. We sit down with her to discuss the new role as the head of Google's growth investment fund. All that and so much more coming up, but from private markets to public, we check in on what was a slightly dour mood in the overall equity benchmarks. Nasdaq 100 off by nine-tenths of percent. Worries about inflation. Some of that manufacturing data here in the U.S. showing that prices, they're still rising further than the Federal Reserve would want to see. The 10-year yield therefore pushes higher. Borrowing costs rise. Tech falls off. Interesting that China managed to actually have a pretty strong day. I'm looking at the Golden Dragon China Index, so we're up 3%. The reason is actually their manufacturing data came in stronger than anticipated. This is why perhaps we're seeing a weaker US dollar. Flick it on, I want to see what crypto is doing versus the US dollar, because actually managing to hold its head above the water up 7 tenths of percent over the last two days, even though the rest of risk assets have been selling off Ed. Yep, and from the macro to the micro, we get straight to earnings season. Salesforce, frankly, knocking it out of the park. You see the shares up more than 14% in after hours. It's given us a full year 24 outlook for both revenue and EPS, pretty significantly above expectations. And in the near term, looking at the fiscal first quarter, also looking at revenue and EPS above expectations. We had a little bit of reaction from Sellside stating that this is evidence. This is a company now more focused on profit. The call's about to get underway. We'll give you those headlines as they come. One stock we have to pay close attention to is Tesla. Tesla is holding its investor day out in Austin. After hours, we're kind of modestly lower, down three-tenths of one percent. There is no one big headline to speak of yet, but they've teased two new EVs in the works. They're covered in blankets on the screen. You know how Elon Musk does it, but also outlining what is a very clear path to a sustainable future. Bloomberg Sean O'Kane covers Tesla for us and is in Austin. Sean, what have we learned so far? 
Uh, well, we've gotten a pretty big high-level picture from Elon Musk and Tesla's SVP, Drew Baglino, about the, the macro view they have of how they think we could shift the entire economy to a sustainable economy, sustainable energy economy. They've said that they're going to be releasing a white paper. They went through a whole bunch of big, impressive numbers, but we're only just now starting to get into what that's going to mean for Tesla as a company. Uh, so we have a couple different executives on stage who are maybe, hopefully, going to talk about some new products in the next couple of minutes. Talk to us about the context here of a third master plan, because you've written so eloquently before, Sean, that, well, the second master plan hasn't exactly been enacted yet. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing that Elon Musk likes to do. It's a, a way of guiding investors and potential investors on where they're headed, why he thinks that the company could be worth twice what Saudi Aramco is worth. So, you know, they haven't finished executing on all of the ideas in the second master plan from 2016. And this is a way of him sort of pushing those concerns aside about, you know, execution worries and <laughs> saying, hey, there's a much bigger picture here. We're trying to solve or contribute to solving something much bigger than just what a company can do. And here's how we think other people can do it. There was also an emphasis on what it's going to take to get Tesla to its, its, its ultimate goal. And it was interesting that Drew Baglino went pretty early on to mining and access to raw materials. I think the line was that they're going to require less mining in an electrified economy than we currently have in today's economy. What kind of things are we watching out for? What red headlines can we expect across the Bloomberg if all goes to plan? I mean, we know from our own reporting that they're, they've been in talks to possibly acquire certain lithium miners. They have been uh, working on potentially building a lithium refinery either here in Texas or maybe other sites in the United States. It's still not abundantly clear what their plan is at the moment with that, but they are looking at trying to get further down the supply chain. So if they're willing to talk about some of that stuff today in any kind of specifics, then that would be you know some pretty big news as far as how much they're willing to stake themselves in this economy. We've had some executives outline well, the talk about the battle scars they've had for a Model 3, the famous production hell that they had around that, and of course the fact that the Cybertruck is coming this year. So they have shown the production capabilities. What many want to see, though, Sean, particularly this time, is their cost-cutting, well, their price-cutting for some cars, is a cheaper model in and of itself, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I would imagine part of the argument they're going to make is that whatever this new vehicle or this new vehicle platform entails, it's going to be folding in all of these things that they've developed over the years that they've been building the Model 3 and the Model Y, these sort of efficiencies that they've bolted onto the ideas uh, as they were being put out into the world, like casting giant pieces for the Model Y and putting them together as opposed to using hundreds of pieces that were bolted together like a lot of regular automakers. And so being able to take some of those learnings from those programs, those vehicle programs, and do it from the ground up on a new vehicle platform, I would bet is going to be a big portion of why they think they can drive those costs down without losing too much of their margin, um, and especially scale. I mean, this is all going to be about scale, not just on the energy side of things, but how many vehicles they can make in the coming years. And if they're going to be building a much cheaper car, they're going to need a much bigger scale to be able to keep those margins up. Sean, so great to get the context from you. We thank you, Sean O'Kane. Let's dig even deeper. The Wesley Group managing partner, Steve Wesley, is with us. Now, the reason he's so important, because he was on the Tesla board when Elon Musk debuted the company's initial master plan. And therefore, it's so great to get your insights, Steve. You also have plenty of time thinking about energy and efficiency from the government level as well. When we look at the master plan for sustainable energy economy, how much do you think that we have to take Elon Musk at his word here? 
Well, look, Elon has a tendency to overpromise a bit, but here's why this is a big deal today. Every auto company in the world is going all electric. And the reason is simple. They're safer, they're lower maintenance, they're faster, more fun to drive, and they're greener. There's only been one big headwind, and that's been cost, and Tesla is about to change that. So today, I think you hear them announce a dramatic reduction in manufacturing costs. And again, that comes down to lower battery costs, larger stamping machines, which means they can produce cars more quickly with fewer parts than ever, as Nigel uh, alluded to, more robots and so on. All this leads to lower costs. I believe what's going to happen is going to be dramatic, and that is I think Tesla is going to trigger a global price war, hmm. and it's going to be great for consumers, deadly for some of the competition. And what people don't quite understand yet about Tesla is that Tesla's already making cars in one-third the time of Volkswagen. That's 10 hours versus 30 hours yeah. by using manufacturing techniques. This enables them to make over $15,000 in profit per car. That's twice what Volkswagen makes, yeah. three times what Toyota makes, five times what Ford makes. So Tesla's the only company with room to drop prices. It's going to create major consolidation in industry, I think. Great news for the consumer, yeah. for competitors. Steve, how low can they go when you think of a cheap auto, when you think of what price point they could unveil? How damaging could that be for Tesla's own margins? Well, look, again, they've got quite a ways to go, but they're leading the world in batteries. And as you know, batteries are roughly a third of the cost for the vehicle. They're also way ahead of the others in what's called over-the-air software. And this new next-gen robotization of manufacturing, bigger stamping, fewer pieces, faster production, this all gives them an edge. And the simple fact is they're about three years ahead of everybody else in terms of manufacturing. GM, Ford, trying to build a new plant here or there. Tesla's got five plants up and running today, a sixth just announced in Mexico. They have not only established themselves as the fastest growing auto company in the world, 50% growth last right. year, and but the most profitable. What's not to like about that? Uh, shares down about a percentage point now in after hours trading, Steve. You may have seen my reporting last week that Ross Gerber had suspended his attempt to gain a board seat in part because Tesla had moved to allay some of his fears. I'm looking at the speakers so far. Zach Kirkhorn, CFO, opened up the show. Elon did speak, but so did Drew Baglino, Franz von Holhausen, and now Lars Morave. How much do you think this is them trying to demonstrate that there is a plan out side of Elon Musk, a succession plan? I think the message is loud and clear. You don't invest in Tesla just because of Elon. You invest because it is the leading EV company in what is an EV world. And again, just look at the facts. Everybody else, one or two EV plants up and running. Tesla's got five heading to six. Nobody else has the capacity to grow like Tesla will this year. No other auto company in the world is coming close to 50% growth. Add to that the highest level of profitability. This is a tough story to beat. Now, there's one other story that almost nobody has talked about today. You're going to hear Elon and the Tesla group address it, and that is they are no longer just an auto company. They're an auto and an energy company, and what they have to sell is powerful, and that is Tesla, and Tesla alone can sell you the electric car, solar panels for the roof, power wall for your home, they can help you create a world where you'll never well, have to pay. 
Hold on, Steve. Hold on. Hold on. Because as Caroline pointed out earlier, a lot of this was in Master Plan Part 1 and 2, and much of that seems unfinished. That's why we are. Should we take some of this with a grain of salt? Because we might not see it materialise for another decade, if that. You're seeing it materialise now. And look, um, I'm not going to tell you Elon doesn't occasionally uh, overpromise that under deliver he does. But even when he finally gets there, he's way the heck ahead of the competition. So they have already offering this turnkey solution around the country. Energy revenues are going up. They're now producing mega packs. This is 1.5 megawatt storage to universities, large corporations, hospitals. It's all rolling out now. But I think the big picture today is going to be Tesla is creating an ecosystem. It's more than an auto company, but it's a pretty darn fast growing auto company as it is. And the extent they can cut costs while they go global with a pretty good product, she lives. That's yeah. a hard story. What's so difficult is supply chain here, time and time again. How will the movement be hindered by access to lithium, to cobalt, to copper? You know, I think that story's been really overreported. And again, four or five years ago, we all heard it buy my lithium mine now, or you got to go to Mongolia, they're the only people in the world with uh, rare earth minerals. This turned out not to be the case. Uh, two quick points. One, lithium is actually one of the most plentiful uh, minerals on the planet. There are lithium mines all over California and the western half of the U.S. You do not need to go to Bolivia or Mongolia. And the mines are opening up now in a response to rising prices. Second, it was those rare earth minerals like cobalt, manganese, uh, nickel that were going to be tough to get to. You can only find them in the Congo. Not so. Prices peaked for a little bit. You're now seeing cobalt in particular at lowest prices we've seen in some time. So the market is responding. Elon and the Tesla team were fairly smart to integrate earlier than the others. I think it's going to give them an edge. Yeah, sources told me that actually they're looking at a number of mining options and weighing up what's best for them. The stock's up more than 60% year to date. We asked our audience if this event right now is going to act as a catalyst for the stock. The audience relatively split, right? Some say yes because of what that's going to be announced. Some others disagreeing say no, this is a sell the news event. To your mind, based on how much you've heard, how high is the bar here for Tesla to prove that big things are coming? Well, look, last year was a bad year for Tesla. He was caught up in headlines about Twitter. He personally sold $40 billion worth of shares, mind-boggling number. That pushed the share price down. When it comes to smart investing, look at the boring stuff like the numbers. 50% growth 2021 to 2022. They're going to do the same thing this year. Huge profitability. And the really boring part is... Inside the factories that most people can't see, you're going to hear again and again about state-of-the-art manufacturing improvements, cost-down curves that the incumbents for some reason haven't figured out. And don't take my word for it. Just look at the average profitability per vehicle. They've got an edge, and I think they're going to be ruthless in pursuing it. They've just taken prices down roughly 15%. If they take them down another 15%, that is awfully hard for the others to keep right with. I think they're going to come up with this issue. Wesley Group Managing Partner Steve Wesley, of course, on Tesla's board back 2007 when Elon Musk was getting Master Plan Part 1 off the ground. And here we are at Master Plan Part 3. We'll see how it goes.
Arm, the chip giant backed by SoftBank, will pause plans for a London stock exchange listing and focus solely on an IPO in New York. This, according to Bloomberg sources, Bloomberg's Crystal Z joins us now. Uh, Crystal, what is the thinking behind this? Yeah, so as we know, Arm is based in uh, England and is one of the crown jewel of the European tech scene. So it was actually a really big loss for the London Stock Exchange, for London uh, as a whole. So uh, it, we've always known that the plan is to have a primary listing in New York and perhaps do a secondary listing in London. And now the thinking has kind of shifted and they will focus solely on a New York listing for the deeper investor pool and higher valuation. And that's always been the appeal of the New York um, venue. And uh, obviously a huge loss for London and I'm sure they will have even more lobbying effort to try to get them back. I mean, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, has already been involved, so no much, not sure how much harder lobbying they can get for this, what is a Cambridge-based business. When you say it's going to hire valuation here in the US, for what reason? Why would a deeper market, more investors, automatically mean that they would value the company differently? So first of all, you can look at the peers. There are just more companies of the same background, of the same market, of the same scale listed in New York. And if you look at uh, overall market liquidity, mm-hmm. you just have more investors that have a US pocket and they have more leeway to invest in US listed company. And as a result, you just generate a little bit more interest. That said, a lot of, most of this is still um, theoretical. There's no mm-hmm. IPO market right now. We were talking about how it could be another couple of months, a couple of weeks until things comes back. So whatever this is, it will hold off and we will not know uh, the actual valuation. But they're aiming for at least $60 billion, which is a very, very big number compared to where SoftBank bought it. What's interesting about the reporting here is that London tried very hard to win this business um, and ultimately they weren't successful. But what do we know about those efforts? Yeah, like uh, Caroline said, Sunak personally actually uh, tried to pitch the company. And as we know, he was a former uh, Goldman person and Goldman was on uh, the listing. So it wouldn't be surprising if he went to his old firm, tap his old colleagues. Uh, Also, the London Stock Exchange chief executive officer had very publicly said that they have worked very, very hard and they want to, they want the energy, they want to win this deal. And it will stay young, stay scrappy, stay hungry to win the arm listing. And a more technology listing hopefully would have come after. But so far, it seems like it's not been a huge win. Is there any way that this is related to Brexit, to anything like that? Or is this purely a size of market situation? So we haven't heard anything about that, but it wouldn't be, uh, you know, outrageous if Brexit was one of the consideration. It definitely limits uh, investment coming into the UK, especially when you have investment professional having to relocate into continental Europe. And you just have a little bit more outflow and just uh, it just separate the markets more. And Overall, again, like comparing to New York, it's just not as deep a market and uh, it would make sense for them to focus on New York, which always has been the plan, but now they're just scrapping the secondary listing. Ah, poor Brits. Bloomberg's Crystal Sea. Great to have her covering this potential IPO coming up at some point in the US at least. Coming up, well, athletes get in the VC game and Stripe is cutting its valuation. All this and more in the VC roundup next, Ed.
Yeah, and I want to get back to those shares of Salesforce and Alpha Hours. Pushing even higher now, actually. We're up 16%. Benny off on the call saying that the company has completely fully disbanded its MA committee. It looks like a big part of this story, Caro, is Salesforce doing what the activist investors wanted to hear, which is focusing on profit with that big outlook for full year fiscal 24. Revenue is going to be 34.5 to $34.7 billion in fiscal 24, way above what the street was looking for. That call underway will continue to track it. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Time now for our VC Roundup. And starting with Stripe, which has just cut its share price for its fundraising round, decreasing its implied valuation by about 10% to around $50 billion. Now, it's all according to the information. It's citing two people familiar with the matter. The payment software company is now setting the per share price at around $20. That's down from $23 a share previously. Meanwhile, tennis icon Venus Williams is joining private equity firm Topspin Consumer Partners to tackle health and wellness business investments. Now, the seven-time Grand Slam title holder will take on the role of operating partner at the middle market investment shop. This is as, of course, PE is an industry scrappling with a slowing economy with tightening credit markets. And keeping with the athlete's theme, baseball legend Alex Rodriguez, you know him as A-Rod, and his business partner Mark Law have raised another $20 million in their funding round for the new ticketing and fan experience business, Jump. 
bringing their total funding to $30 million. Now, the round was led by Forerunner Ventures and joined by Quartzside Ventures, Will Ventures and Mastery Ventures. Additional investors include Medalab and Drive by DraftKings. Ed, you've got a key story you've got to be watching in, well, the public markets, right? Yeah, we've got to get back to Salesforce and what we've got coming up uh, because the earnings calls ongoing, real push higher in after hours. And I think the focus right now for investors is Benioff's doing exactly what we asked him to, focus on cost cuts, focused on profit, and that stock really pushing higher, Carrie. Yeah, I mean, more than 15% jump on the higher side. Many really feeling that he's addressing the fears that many an activist investor have put to it, the fact that they might be still spending on M&A, the fact that they'd be worrying about, you know, the splurging, the marketing spend, of course, in many ways, put San Francisco and a lot of the hubs on the map. But ultimately, this is appeasing the new narrative of this economy, that it has right. to be profitability first. Right. Think about Slack. Think about MuleSoft. The single headline on the Bloomberg terminal from Benioff, Salesforce has fully disbanded our M&A committee. We're getting a much more severe decline in the earnings. And that is going to happen across the economy. It's, the evidence is already overwhelming. It's been most apparent in the tech space. Uh, because that's where the overinvestment was the most egregious. And now we're seeing companies deal with that, but we think they're gonna be woefully slow to get those costs down to a level where we think they need to, to get the margins to stabilize. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. And that was Morgan Stanley, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist, Mike Wilson, speaking earlier this morning. Let's turn, though, from the public markets to the private markets in tech with some big news. Capital G, Google's growth investment fund, has named Layla Sturdy as its new managing partner and leader. The move makes Sturdy one of the only women, actually, to lead a major venture firm. And I'm delighted to say, Caro, Layla joins us now here in San Francisco. I asked you this off camera, but I'm going to ask you again. Were your industry peers surprised by this appointment, bearing in mind your history at this firm anyway? Well, I've been investing for 10 years, so I have a number of amazing colleagues and peers in the industry, and I'd say it's been amazing to see the support and the outreach today. So I don't know if they were surprised, but they were certainly supportive. And uh, we, we can get into to the portfolio, some of the investments you've made. I think, you know, uh, this is an interesting firm, a lot of capital to play with. Would you say that in, in your new position, of leadership, will you change the investment thesis, the strategy um, from how it has been? Well, we will keep building on the success we've had. So capital G, we're focused on investing in generational growth technology companies. So we typically invest in series B to series D of hyper growth companies across consumer, enterprise. So some of the companies we invested in are CrowdStrike, UiPath, Stripe, Duolingo. So really amazing founders, amazing companies operating in big markets. And we make very concentrated bets. So we do a lot of work to really find and develop investment theses in the world's most exciting technologies and markets and companies, and then we make big investments. So we typically invest 50 to up to 200 million in these companies and partner with them over the long haul. So that's what's worked really well for us, and we'll continue to um, to focus on that strategy, keep building a great team, and keep having a global uh, focus. 
you back them and the anecdotes, the stories of how you back them. And in fact, the co-founders, the CEOs themselves, I think of Duolingo, how much they've said that your support in particular, Leila, was so integral to the building of the strategy of the business and, of course, the eventual really successful exit. And I think a UI path as well, which, again, you wrote a check at a small valuation and it just absolutely went parabolic. And But but the way you had to chase UI path down, for example, that's not the environment we're currently in, is it? Or are you still going to have to be that much more competitive than others? Well, that's what's fun about the investing world is with the macro, things are constantly changing. And I do believe that you will still have to compete and work to invest in the very best technology companies. So you cited a few that I've been very lucky to partner with, UiPath, Duolingo. And the... the the process of finding these companies does take a lot of work. It doesn't always mean chasing founders around the world, but it means digging deep into the investment theses and the opportunities that we think are going to generate the biggest returns. And then it means adding value to those companies. So once we partner and make an investment, we work really hard to be very active board members and to find different ways to support the companies, which is something that's quite different about Capital G. Because Google and Alphabet are our single LP at Capital G, we have a really large network of advisors inside of Alphabet. And these are tech technical advisors, go-to-market advisors, operational advisors that we can um, bring to partner with our companies on issues or challenges of scaling and is a unique thing that we can do to add value. So we've helped companies on pricing studies, on um, we've actually started uh, the inside sales team for CrowdStrike in our office at Capital G. So lots of different creative ways that we keep trying to be the best partner um, that we can. And I think that will help us continue to um, be able to invest in and, and, and partner with the best founders. And now you've got to help companies scale, but with profit, not growth at all cost. I think of Stripe, of course, you wrote, well, you co-led the Series D when it was worth $9 billion, and still, even with the down, potential down round we're seeing, it, it, it's, well, their own readjustment of their pricing, it's still $50 billion. I mean, it's still extraordinary growth for this payments company. And I'm interested as to what advice you now need to give leaders such as the Collison Brothers. So you're, um, it's obvious to everyone that the macro environment has changed markedly over the last 18 to 24 months. So I think it is true that, that companies are much more focused on profitability. But at Capital G and all the companies we work with have always been very focused on the business model and on the unit economics and on not only growing quickly, but growing in a way that builds a sustainable, enduring business. And so I think the capital will be more expensive and harder to find for most companies but those that have really strong business models will be able to continue to raise and will be able to continue to grow at really accelerated rates. So I think when you look back historically through the last few downturns and through capital markets that were harder, you see that some of the best companies were founded and funded and grew rapidly in those stages. The third party data shows a drop in activity or dollar deal value 2021 Mm -hmm. to 2022. But we had Matt Harris from Bain uh, Capital Mm -hmm. Ventures on 24 hours ago he says this is a buying opportunity right now. They want to be out there writing checks, basically. Are you in a similar position to him? I completely agree. I mean, the reality is the macro environment has brought prices down, but they're still in valuations down. But the quality of companies is still extraordinarily high. So we see, it, whether it's cloud, the, the secular trends like cloud computing, data, AI, driving really exciting opportunities in transforming businesses and creating large new opportunities 
opportunities. And you see so many more businesses out there looking for funding that are really adding value to customers, that are growing in more efficient ways, and the valuations have gone down. So we look, we, even though it's a harder macro environment, we look at this as a time where we think we can make some of our best investments. Caroline mentioned it a moment ago, and it would be remiss of me not to ask, but the information reported 24 hours ago that Stripe has cut its valuation by about 10%, still at $50 billion. Uh, you are involved or have done prior rounds with that company. What is your sort of response to that report? So I won't comment on any particular fundraising round of any of my portfolio companies. I will say that Stripe is an incredible company, and so I've been uh, loved being involved since we co-led the Series D in 2016. And I believe that it's one of the biggest markets and best teams in technology. So excited to be a part of it, and I think there's a long, long, long runway ahead. I hope you appreciate why we have to ask the question. Um, you mentioned at the beginning global, and Caroline yeah. and I are really zeroed in on that. Yeah. Where are the opportunities? outside the United States right now, geographically speaking. Absolutely. So one of the exciting things is that technology teams have been growing, in going after global markets and growing globally for a long time. So if you look at some of our most exciting investments at Capital G, companies like UiPath, Calibra, these are actually software companies that were founded outside of the U.S. They were, uh, UiPath was founded in Romania, um, moved their headquarters to New York, but has been a global operation from the beginning. So has accessed markets in Asia, Europe, the U.S., and I think you see most big software markets, for example, um, those companies are all growing their teams internationally and growing customers internationally much earlier in their growth cycle than they used to. So we look for those founding teams wherever they're starting, in India, in Europe, in the U.S., and we help partner with them to grow their organizations and their markets globally. So that's yeah. one example. We've also invested in several companies in India, China, and elsewhere. Mm. So we see opportunities um, in lots of different markets throughout the world. China still. So China, we've been spending less time on. We have made investments there in the past, but um, we've been spending less time there. And therefore, from geography into industry group, because the breadth of your portfolio, the fact that you are B2B, B2C, whether you're in cybersecurity, in, in, in enterprise infrastructure, in you know, language learning in many ways, I, I'm interested in where you're looking right now. Everyone talking about artificial intelligence. Is that a particular sweet spot or where else do you think it's enticing? Yeah, so luckily for Capital G, we, are, we have a large fund and we have a diverse and fantastic group of general partners. So we're able to cover a, a wide variety of sectors within technology. So we spend a lot of time in cybersecurity, data, business process automation, as well as consumer marketplaces, commerce, um, and as you just mentioned, uh, artificial intelligence. So we see opportunities in, in lots of different places. On the data side, we've invested in Dataiku, Databricks, um, in um, the business process automation space, a theme we're really excited about is the growth of no-code software, which is visual application platforms that make it easier for people without technical backgrounds to come and build software, different applications, whether it's a website or a more sophisticated business process application, so a company like Webflow. Uh, in the AI space, we've been spending a lot of time, and that's an area that we're really excited. We can dig into advisors we have with 
and Google to help us um, build and test our investment theses. And we think that AI is such a big opportunity. It's going to be a platform shift where probably the next next Google, the next uh, you know Microsoft is going to be uh, born, as well as incumbents who have um, right. have you know real strengths are going to incorporate AI, AI into their business processes. Well, so. when you find that business, you'll have mm-hmm. to come back onto the show and tell us about it. I can't believe, Caroline, we didn't even get fully into AI in this conversation. <laughs> Capital G managing partner, Layla Sturdy. And Caroline, just frankly, a really big moment for this industry, actually, mm. with Layla taking the reins at Capital G. Yeah, extraordinary. And we thank her so much for coming on to discussing all of it. And I wish her well. We're going to dig in so much more to the world of VC, particularly with plenty of diversity of thought throughout. But let's stick with executive changes for a minute here, because PayPal, you know, it's on the hunt for the next CEO. Dan Shulman is planning on his exit at the end of this year. And look, the company is now working hard to try and find his replacement. They got away whether to seek a cost cutter or another visionary. Meanwhile, the payments firm is also trying to recover from a year-long slide that's raised to get this $279 billion in market value. But coming up, oh, we're just talking about AI. Let's get into the world of ChatGPT. It's spurring a wave of investments as companies from Meta, but also to Tapestry, to Home Depot, flood earnings calls with commentary about their artificial intelligence efforts, Ed. We've got to dig in. Yeah, and also another company using AI, Tesla. I'm looking at shares in after hours. We're actually getting a little deeper, now down 2.7%. We knew that this master plan part three would be a sell the news event. We haven't really had any substantive product update, and that seems to be what's happening. But that event ongoing, Carol, will track it. We'll be talking about it for the next decade, I'm told. (laughs) This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Want to make your investors happy? Well, apparently you just need to start talking up artificial intelligence in your earnings calls. Get this, references to AI and relatable terms this earnings season up 77% compared to this time last year. And sure, the big tech juggernauts are doing it, the likes of Meta, Microsoft, Alphabet, Zoom, for example, but so are other companies. Fashion giants like Tapestry, equipment makers like Caterpillar, you're getting banks like Wells Fargo getting in on the action too. No wonder this is happening. Just think of the companies with AI expertise and what their stocks have done of late. NVIDIA, the chip-making company that helps you with the computing power for AI tasks. Its stock is the best-performing one this year in terms of mega caps. Got AI on your name? Bingo. Think of Big Bear AI. It's up 300%. C3 AI is more than double so far this year. But how are you going to distinguish the hype from the reality? Well, the advice is stay disciplined, understand what the business actually does, get to know the management, get to understand the competitive moat that they have, and also get to understand what the valuation really is. Ed, let's give you the visual. I mentioned a few of those companies that have AI in their name. Big Bear AI, check it out. 336% up so far this year. You think of the likes of C3 AI. We've interviewed the CEO of late, up more than double. And I'm looking at BuzzFeed, which called announced its own AI, using within some of its quizzes, up 125%. And if we take a look at which sectors mention AI most, of course, you're going to be thinking about the technology companies. So they're going to be leading the charge in the orange here. But actually, just everyone is part piling on in financials. I was thinking that Wells Fargo was out there giving its turning of focus of AI. Really, is there any company I wonder that isn't talking about it? I absolutely love that chart. Far right-hand side of the screen, your left-hand side, says it all. The recent furor in the first quarter of how bonkers this has all gone. But you are right to point out there are sectors that by right you don't think should have anything to do with AI. Yeah, but actually when you dig into the nitty-gritty, they do. The fact that you know you might be using artificial intelligence to be able to ensure that you're selling the right handbag at the right price point in the way, right visual, the way in which we're seeing Home Depot, even Caterpillar, and a company yeah. that is so ahead of its time in terms of trying to have autonomous tractors, it too is trying to understand how AI can develop the way in which they produce and manufacture equipment. And we are tracking all of these names on a daily basis. Thank you very much, Caroline. Now, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong says he is prepared to defend the company's staking product in court. Shares of Coinbase are down more than 60% in the past year as regulators have cracked down on crypto practices. Here's some of the conversation he had with Bloomberg's Shanali Basak. We recently saw there was a uh, settlement with Kraken, that's another exchange out there, and they have what they called a staking product. It was kind of more of a yield product. But um, you know, in Coinbase's case, our staking product is not a security. Um, there's many differences. I mean, we customers never turn over their assets to Coinbase, for instance. They're, they're always in the customer's possession, and we're really just providing a service that passes through those coins to help them um, you know, participate in staking, which is a decentralized protocol. So um, that's an important part of you know, the crypto economy that we want to make sure that we um, ensure that that's out there. And you know, we're prepared to defend that in court if we need to, but you know, we never, we're never looking for a fight. We want to work collaboratively with regulators all over the world. Um, but you know, we have to follow rule of law. And in this case, I think we're well within the law. Given the stance the SEC has been taking regarding defining certain assets as securities, 
Is there anything that you think will need to get to that point? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the SEC has expressed their view about what is a security, and they've taken kind of an expansive view of that. Um, I think, you know, Coinbase, we've evaluated over a thousand different assets, and I, as I mentioned earlier, 800 of them we've rejected, and we do think they have some properties of being a security, so we don't trade those today. Another 200 or so of them we do trade today, and we feel that those are commodities. So, you know, look, I think as a, as a CEO, we want to basically just have a clear rule book, right? And if a clear rules are published, we're happy to follow it. And if, and if those rules change, you know, we're happy to follow those. Um, but I think, you know, when we, when we became a public company, we explained uh, to the SEC in our S1 filing and uh, in dozens of meetings that we've had with the SEC, I think we work pretty collaboratively with them. We've explained our business to them many times, including in our S1, and, you know, they approved us to become a public company. So we'll continue working with regulators all over the world about where the boundaries are on what's a commodity, what's a security, or what is something else. We're setting once more for our Bloomberg radio and television audiences in conversation with Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong. You know, we're talking about the SEC and state regulators as well. You know, in regulatory filings, you've noted that you've received investigative subpoenas from the SEC and state regulators. How and when do you get those resolved? Yeah. Well, subpoenas are really just requests for information, right? And so we're in dialogue with regulators, not only here in the U.S. at the state and federal level, but really around the world. I mean, um, we're in Europe, European markets and, you know, in Singapore and in Australia, et cetera, Canada, many different markets around the world. So I think subpoenas are an important part of the process. That's, that's them asking us a question and saying, we'd like more information on this, and we're happy to do that. <laughs> That was Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong and Bloomberg Shnali Basak, who conducted that interview, joins me now for more. You went really deep on the relationship, Shnali, with the SEC. They've got history, Gary Gensler and, and yeah. Brian Armstrong. I, my question really, though, is moving on from that, what do we learn about the health of that business, Coinbase, right now, and actually the crypto market more broadly? Well, I think one thing interesting that he said to us, too, was the idea here that a lot of the assets that are associated with Coinbase, they have really the CFTC as a main regulator and a lot a lot of these assets are kind of viewed as commodities as well. It's the definition, Ed, that we were looking at for a lot of the crypto assets in the universe. And he was pretty specific about how they choose not to list assets. I think another interesting point here is as the SEC moves on and as other regulators move on, beyond tokens and securities here, you're also asking about staking and you're asking about stable coins and other part of the crypto ecosystem that help provide liquidity to the system and help move assets from one place to another. I think the stablecoin question is particularly relevant because, of course, we know Coinbase has a close relationship with Circle and USDC and holds a bit of it on its own kind of treasury here. So, you know, the relationship with the regulators here is super interesting for a lot of reasons. But, you know, even though we've seen that decline over a year in Coinbase's stock, they have been on a tear this year, even with the SEC really taking a hard look at things like staking across the industry and stablecoins across the industry. Yeah, Armstrong saying he was quite bullish, quote, on USD coin. Just so much coming out of that interview. Bloomberg, Shanali Basak, thank you so much. There's some big changes coming to this show, Ed, and I'm so excited to be doing it with you. The same tech coverage you know, but a new time frame, 12 p.m. Eastern, a little earlier for you, 9 a.m. San Francisco. Yeah, no worries. This is worth getting up for. Bang smack <laughs> in the middle of the markets day. And you and I have learned so much in recent weeks about how important the interplay is between public and private markets. And at this new time, we can really own that space. Yeah, market moves in the public, but also the moves that are happening in private and the people behind this, the innovation behind it, the diversity of thought and leadership. I cannot wait to get into all of it.
Yeah, and a quick look at Tesla because the investor day is ongoing. Perfect example. We're talking about innovation. We're tracking the market moves. It's a crazy story about Master Plan Part 3. We're revealing our own Master Plan on this show, Karen. <laughs> Very nicely done. After hours, still trading lower for Tesla off by 2.7%. We will dig into it more tomorrow. But that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. So much to recap. Check out the podcast, iHeart, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Big news out of BTEC. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.